Hello, and welcome to the Natural Healthcare Network podcast. My name is Deb McLeod, and I really appreciate your sitting in and listening in. Today's podcast is going to be one from the Cancer Talks team. We had Robin Daly on. He is the founder and chairman of Yes to Life. Yes to Life is a UK charity helping people with cancer. Robin shares his story. He also tells us about an event that Yes to Life is hosting this coming weekend, the 27th and 28th of March. So if you don't know about this wonderful organization or this event, it's something that I feel sure you should hear more about. So I hope you enjoy this show as much as we did. There's two sides to what we do, in fact. There's the side which we've been discussing, which is giving uh, direct support to people with cancer. The other side of what we do is education. And uh, the educational side informs people of our presence and what we do. And that has grown over the years. And we've got more and more routes, if you like, through which we are educating the public, um, uh, particularly as the internet's grown and the ease of passing information around uh, through social media, through broadcasting, all this kind of thing has has gone up. Alongside that, we've had a steady program of uh, events. Every year we've had events, both large and small, and uh, these again are all about educating the public. The whole sort of uh, effort of the charity is public facing. We get lots of practitioners come along to our events. Why? Because we get great people to talk um, and they want to hear them, but actually nonetheless we primarily do stuff for the public. Hello and welcome to Cancer Talks podcast. My name is Deb McLeod, and I would like to thank you for joining me and my colleagues and nutritional therapists, Linda Sims and Andrea Burton. On today's show, we are delighted to say that we have Robin Daly joining us. Robin is the chairman and founder of the charity Yes to Life. Yes to Life is the UK's integrative cancer charity. We also hear Robin share his personal story on why he decided to start Yes to Life. And you'll hear about other activities that he's involved with, his radio show and his forthcoming podcast, as well as the event on the 27th and 28th of March. I hope you enjoy listening to his conversation as much as we did. So, Robin, thank you so much for joining us on our Cancer Talks podcast today. It is an absolute delight to have you here with us today. Wow, it's an absolute delight to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me. (laughs) Our pleasure, our pleasure. Well, Linda and Andrea and I talk about you a lot in the nicest possible way because of all the amazing things that you do and you are really out there supporting people who are going through a cancer diagnosis having to work through all the complexities of it and you have created yes to life for personal reasons I guess I'm assuming because your background is in IT right uh, it's one of my backgrounds, yeah. Backgrounds? Certainly nothing to do with uh, medicine or cancer or anything like that. I'm no sort of practitioner at all. Yeah. Literally personal experience, yes. I get that. Well, I think it'd really be nice if you could share your story with us and then talk about 
Yes to Life, the organization, and various other things. And Linda and Andrea and I are always jumping in and asking questions. And obviously, you can ask us questions. It's not one-sided. So up to you. But if you don't mind just giving us a bit of background of what led you to starting the charity Yes to Life, is that okay? Yeah, certainly, yeah. Yeah, we were sort of happily living in the sunshine down in uh, darkest Devon there as a family. And uh, my nine-year-old daughter, uh, we suddenly received a totally shocked diagnosis of the fact she had a a rare and aggressive form of cancer in her leg. Uh, She had a leg problem, but we didn't for one second think that this was cancer. Uh, And neither did anybody else, actually, until uh, suddenly it was. And we had to be up in Bristol the next day uh, for an emergency case, as an emergency case, at the Bristol Children's Hospital. Um, And total disruption, basically, in our family from that point onwards. Um, Yeah, as I say, she was nine. And uh, she had cancer three times, actually, overall. She... uh, uh, again, when she was 13, she had uh, treatment-induced cancer. And uh, further time again, when she was 22, another round of treatment-induced cancer. So um, it was quite a journey. And uh, we saw the inside of a lot of hospitals. We got the feel of an awful lot of uh, the things that go on in oncology. And uh, as a family, we were always kind of... Uh, actually, I mean, Bryony, I don't think it even had... antibiotics or even sort of paracetamol or anything by that age but suddenly she was plunged into chemotherapy and all sorts you know amazing uh, life change in that way Uh, so we always kind of looked outside the box in terms of health and healthcare, and we continued to do so of course during this time as well even though she was uh, having to obviously go through the standard uh, treatments but um You know, at the time when she was nine, there was no internet. Uh, We didn't have mobile phones even then. Uh, This is way back. And um, so finding other things was really hard. We did find some stuff. uh, You know, Devon's a good place to find uh, other things that are going on in healthcare. So we did did find quite a lot and we did everything we we could. But compared to what you can find out nowadays, it wasn't that much. so, you know, that happened, uh, you know, as I say, she had a recurrence uh, when she was 13. And uh, by, the, by the time that had finished, she'd had this uh, the leg in which she got cancer had been amputated by then. She then had actually a, a pretty good life for 10 years or so from then uh, with her prosthetic leg, which she was much better off than her rather uh, mangled leg that she had after all the operations and radiotherapy and everything that had happened to it. And uh, she got to grips with life again and actually had a really good time. Um, Got out and uh, went to university and all that stuff. But uh, while she was at university, you know, she had a re-diagnosis. And um, by this time, uh, well, two things. A, her prognosis was very poor. And uh, that was by the time they diagnosed it. And B, uh, the internet had arrived. Mm-hmm. And so we went from scarce little information to total overwhelm of information, just far, far too much information. And uh, so 
you know, uh, Bryony herself wasn't in any situation to find out about, you know, sift her way through all this stuff, but I was. And so I was spending uh, something like 21 and a half hours a day on the internet at that point, uh, going through website after website after website, and each one would have an enormous long list of things, you know, and you'd have, yeah, I've seen that one, that one, never heard of it, this one. Uh, and then you have to find out for each one, well, is it a total hoax? Is it just a load of hot air? Is it actually something that could help? Is it relevant to the cancer that she has, the situation she's in? Can I get hold of it anyway? Is it stratospherically expensive? Is there anybody doing it? The questions are just like endless, you know. Mm. So anyway, so I did it. I went through all that stuff and I found some some good information. I you know I realized that in amongst all this stuff, there was actually a lot of good information about what you could do that was potentially very helpful. So, um, well, what, you know, during all this process, you know, we all realized as a family, well, look, you know, it's tragic that there is good information out there, but it's so, so hard to find. And so we, we resolved then while Bryony was still alive that we would do something about this and actually set something up to help people to get good information quickly. So essentially, that's what Yes to Life is. It's a vehicle for people to get good information quickly. And um, so it was set up in name uh, while Brownie was still alive, but she died from our perspective, kind of like very suddenly, probably from other people's perspective not. But anyway, um, she, she basically died before we actually had managed to even do many of the things we'd found that could have helped her. So... There we were, kind of, uh, Brian had gone, the, the concept of Yes to Life was there. We even had a lot of money that had been raised to help Bryony, which we then put into the charity that we formed. And uh, so that's how we started Yes to Life. And uh, we created it as a charity because that seemed to be the specific vehicle that would circumvent uh, a lot of the, the problems with things that are offered on the internet, which is that they're, uh, most of them are things that are making money. And so you don't know what the, the motives of the person is who's uh, offering them, you know. And that's what leads to say, uh, you know, the unscrupulous things that do actually, uh, you know, they are actually out there. So a charity with only the agenda to supply good information to people to help them, we hope to set up a trustworthy place for people to come to as a kind of one-stop shop. So uh, that's where, how we got started. That was 16 years ago. Uh, we're still here, I'm glad to say, clinging on by our fingernails at odd times, you know, along the way. It's not, not all been easy, but we're still here. Wow, what a journey. I think it's, like you said, it's, it's the amount of information that's out there on the internet is unbelievable and I know when my stepdaughter went through her cancer to diagnose and she just wanted to get on and, and get through it. And her dad wanted to read everything, find everything, do everything. And similar to you, you know, 21 hours a day on the yeah. internet trying to find everything. And it's just ridiculously overwhelming. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's almost untenable. You know, I, you know, it's okay. It's possible if you've got somebody who's doing it for you. But if you're the person with cancer and you wanted to do it, well, forget it. I mean, you know, you've got far too much on your plate anyway. So, uh, yeah, you definitely need some help. And I would say I always find that people will add too many things at once. 
and get overwhelmed and feeling, you know, I'm not yeah. doing enough. I should be doing that. I should be doing that. This person's mm-hmm. telling me that. That person's telling me complete opposite. It's really difficult. Yeah, I, I think it's also the number of people on the internet that are saying, I can cure you. Just come and see. Yeah. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, false hope out there, which is horrendous. Yeah, but it doesn't do very much for the whole reputation of, uh, you know, integrative medicine, what it can offer. There are so many people who are making claims, which is just ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, you're right. From the point of view of the person who's looking, everything is presented as being essential. So you actually feel like, oh, there's another thing I have to do. And so you end up with far too many strategies uh, which cost too much money, uh, some of which may conflict with each other, and some of which are complete waste of time because they're, you know, you're duplicating things, or you're, uh, you know, you're, you're taking something that's just simply not needed in your case or not relevant. So, yeah, sorting all that stuff out is incredibly difficult. So that could take up twenty-four hours a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. I mean, that could take up an awful lot of time. How, how does the charity go about? doing that okay well we i got to say we don't actually do it ourselves but uh, we right. we get it done basically we commission for people a a report of the best options that are available to them uh, given their cancer their stage where they are their budget all the all the constraints there are you know come up with a, a report and we commission that from cancer options and we've worked with cancer options for I don't know how long now, probably 13 or 14 years. And um, they are still, to my mind, they're the the premier place to go for this kind of information because... First of all, they make, that's their business. They make it their business to know what's going on, uh, who's doing what, where they're doing it, and what's actually working for people. Of course, they get feedback. They get to find out, well, you know, we've sent along 10 people to see this practitioner here and had some flipping good results with prostate cancer, you know. So they get to see what's actually working, and uh, they make it their business. They're not practitioners themselves. And quite understandably, people who are practitioners, they can have enormous expertise, but usually within a a limited range of approaches or whatever. They focus their attention on the things they think are the best to do, and they become very expert in those. And that's great. That makes them a, a good practitioner. But it doesn't mean they necessarily know what's going on over there, that somebody's doing something else, that for this particular person might actually be better for them so you know that's why this the the overview that cancer options preserves and makes it their business to have makes them i think the the go-to place for uh, that kind of decision making advice that you need when you step into the whole arena so do people come to you directly then robin is that there so how how do you um i suppose we can think about how do you get people out there who have had a cancer diagnosis or are going through their their journey how do they find out about you how do, how, how do they come find to out you? About well uh we've we've gained a bit of traction just by being here a long time and uh you know we've we've turned up here there and everywhere and we do there's two sides to what we do in fact there's the side which we've been discussing which is giving uh direct support to people with cancer the other side of what we do is education and uh, the educational side informs people of our presence and what we do and that has grown over the years and we got more and more 
routes, if you like, through which we are educating the public, um, uh, particularly as the internet's grown and the ease of passing information around uh, through social media, through broadcasting, all this kind of thing has, has gone up. Alongside that, we've had a steady program of uh, events. Every year we've had events, both large and small, and uh, these, again, are all about educating the public. The whole sort of uh, effort of the charity is public-facing. We get lots of practitioners come along to our events. Why? Because we get great people to talk, um, and they want to hear them. But actually, nonetheless, we primarily do stuff for the public. And so that that's one of the ways people get to know about us. Um, the other way is, I think, amongst practitioners who are working in this area, particularly who are supporting people with cancer, we are well known at this point. I don't consider us a well-known charity, uh, you know, across the board. Um, we're not going to be sort of up there with Macmillan any day soon. But, you know, amongst people who are interested in integrative medicine for cancer, we are now, I think, quite well known. So... That is good, and people do find us either because they've been told about us by a practitioner or a, a friend, or just through straight internet searches and that kind of thing, they'll find us as well. So um, the thing that's really noticeably different now to you know a decade or more ago is that you know in the first years the people who found us were almost universally the people who'd uh, been uh, through every treatment available at the hospital and got to the end of the line there's nothing else that could be done for them and then they turn up at the door of uh, complementary alternative medicine hoping to help them which you know occasionally that could happen but actually it's a ridiculously long shot of course at that point because the, you know, the cases are very far down the line in terms of the cancer developing and they're suffering from the after effects of a huge amount of conventional treatment, which to the point where they wouldn't do any more because of the, it's so harmful. So uh, a very tough call for anything to help people radically at that point. That said, there was always something to be done. That's the great thing about integrative medicine. It's never, you know, oh, we can't do anything. That's just not the case with integrative medicine. It's so uh, broad and inclusive that there is always something to do to potentially improve the quality of life or extend it to some extent. So we've certainly been, always been offering that in the, you know, the most positive way that there is always something to do. But... Um, but noticeably now, many, many more people are arriving to us, you know, almost on day one or very early on in their journey, which is very gratifying because, of course, the the true potential of integrative medicine comes if you adopt it right from day one. Oh, absolutely. And I completely love that, you know, that that's happening because I find as a practitioner, a lot of times we get people who have tried, as you said, everything else. So yeah. it's great to see actually uh, patients coming to you earlier and earlier. That's really, really yeah. important. Yeah. Well, the, the whole um, uh, public awareness of the importance of lifestyle in chronic disease has just gone up massively in the last 10 years. Isn't it? I mean, it's just... You know, it's unthinkable. The, the the if you like the amount of information, the the amount people might know about their own health, which just people didn't in the past. They sort of delegated all of that to healthcare systems and uh, and just were largely ignorant about the workings of their own bodies, which uh, 
has changed radically, and that's a great thing, I think. You know, people are now much more likely to be proactive about doing things for their own health. And, uh, you know, probably the first thing to come into anybody's mind, uh, if they've got cancer and they're beginning to think about, well, what can I do to help myself, they'll probably be contacting somebody like you. Mm, to look at their food. Yep. Yeah. So that's great. So how, because you, you have a lot of oncologists working with you, how, how do you find that the sort of alternative approaches and actually traditional oncology are merging? Very slowly, but it's, that's uh, going to change soon is my prediction. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's literally been the slowest burn. I mean, coming from a place uh, 15 or more years ago, uh, you know, at that point we were kind of, radical outsiders a bunch of crystal gazing hippies talking about airy fairy nonsense and uh, you know that attitude has uh, has gone from an awful lot of quarters um i've got to say oncology in itself is a kind of very protected environment where they seem to be a, it's a sort of separate universe in there where they seem to manage to hold on to some very outdated ideas well past their sell-by days which is tragic for people with cancer um the thing that's been an absolute constant all the way through my time running yes life is that patients are told it doesn't matter what you eat you know when they have cancer and they're still told it today, just like they were on day one. It, that hasn't changed. It's totally unscientific. It's just like there's well, no basis for saying that, but they still say it. And, uh, of course, the thing that's changed is that many more patients, uh, they say, hey, my oncologist said it doesn't matter what I eat when I have cancer. That can't be right. That You know, the patients are actually better informed about the importance of lifestyle than the oncologist, which, you know, it shouldn't be. They should know that it's, they've made a bit of, a, there's a bit of an opening for exercise has, has come out of left field. Exercise has not been a battleground for years. You know, the relationship between exercise and cancer didn't really exist 10 years ago. You know, nobody even thought about it. So it's come out of the blue. Exercise is something you can do that's good for you. And it's more than good for you. It actually can be more effective than some drugs that cost £60,000, in fact, in terms of the chances it of improving your odds of uh, avoiding a recurrence, for example. So um, extraordinarily helpful. And, of course, uh, nutrition is just the same. But, unfortunately, it's been a battleground for decades, absolutely decades, you know, ever since uh, Dr. Gerson came up with the idea of using nutrition for cancer. It's been a battleground between that and orthodox medicine. And so it's still dismissed nowadays, even though... Uh, the science to show that Dr. Gerson wasn't too far off the mark um, in seeing it was a very important thing that was needed for people with cancer. Uh, you know, even uh, long after the science to show that that's the case is well and truly here. So um, I hope it's not going to last much longer. I don't think it is. And the reason I say that is because um, the change is beginning to happen now in terms of the fact that there is interest being expressed by some senior people within oncology uh, who realise that nutrition and lifestyle are incredibly important for people with cancer. A, because it's a tragic omission to have such a narrow view of what treating a patient looks like. 
you know, that it's only a case of trying to kill cancer cells and that's it, kill them or remove them. Uh, and that does a huge disservice to people as people and doesn't respect the, the uh, round uh, picture of who they are. Uh, but B, because they can actually contribute enormously to their health and well-being and recovery. So, um, you know, I think at last that's beginning to happen. And I actually feel that uh, the biggest thing holding back that kind of progress at the moment is there isn't permission, in inverted commas, uh, amongst oncologists to be interested in this stuff. They're not allowed to be interested in lifestyle medicine at the moment, and they haven't been. They've been sort of warned off it, basically. You know, you go anywhere near that wacky stuff, you'll be out of a job, basically. But now some senior people are beginning to be openly interested and say, we need this stuff. And so I think a huge swathe of people within oncology are going to suddenly have permission to be interested and things will change very quickly. So that's my prediction. So let's hope I'm right. Here, here. Yeah, let's hope so. It'd be fabulous. I think, you know, I haven't been in this anywhere near as long as you have, uh, Robin, but even just in the few years I've been in this, you can feel a change. You can, there is, you can feel a difference and it's not, okay, it's not universal. It's not, every oncologist that your clients um, are under, it's, but, but it's there. There is a slight difference as it's moving along. And, it, yeah. you know, and like you say, the rolling moss, um, whatever the, <laughs> the rolling stone, whatever it is, but, you know, it's rolling, it's moving, and, you know, it, it will get And I yeah. think uh, cancer patients themselves are actually encouraging one another yeah. to, to seek alternative therapies to, to go see nutritionists so I think that that's brilliant you know so maybe it's not done from the top uh, tier but you know the patients themselves are actually talking to each other well I think you know what's going to happen is that, uh, the the groundswell from from the public has been growing all the time you know that's the thing we've uh, we've been busy with uh, you know very early on I realized that uh, we've the thing we've dealt with for years is there have been three forces in medicine. Yeah, there's been uh, the pharmaceutical industry, there's been doctors, the the, uh, the medical profession itself, and there's been government. And uh, uh, the uh, government's actually been working very hard to bring about change, but actually they're remarkably impotent when it comes to it. You know, they they brought up the concept of patient-centered care in the 1980s. That's when they, it was it first was broached and it was, seemed to be a good idea. Uh, you know, it hasn't really begun yet. You know, but it, it has begun, but it hasn't really got anywhere yet. You know, there's plenty of places they've got no idea what patient-centered care means. They do things that are called the thing, you know, this sort of thing, but still, essentially, patients are being asked to fit into a system. You know, and to be boxed up into types, and you know, we're treated by disease rather than who who they are. You know, and all this kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, they haven't managed to make much impression. Um, and but the 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 force that has been able to make some impression is the pharmaceutical industry. They've got massive, massive resources to keep both government and uh, the medical profession working to the business plan. And the business plan's interests are not the same as uh, the public's interests. They're different. Uh, you know, they're about making a lot of money, and of course they do. 
So these three divided it up amongst themselves, and they've been a kind of triangle in my picture with the pharmaceuticals at the top, showering government and the, the medical industry with money to keep them all on, on target, you know. And but then along come a fourth new player in the field, and that's us, the public. We suddenly got a voice on the internet, which never existed before. So, I, you know, I've been doing this uh, long enough to, to remember what it was like without an internet. And um, so it, it's a massive difference when the public was suddenly able to uh, say what it thinks, to share information directly, as you're saying, with each other, and to uh, self-education, actually, is what's happened amongst the public. And more and more, the public have gone to their oncologists and say, well, what can I do to help myself here? And the oncologist said, absolutely nothing. You just lie in that bed there, and we're going to pump these drugs into you, and everything that's going to make any difference, we're doing it. But the public are like, well, really? They've actually, as they've learned, they've questioned this, and more and more of them are coming back to their oncologists and saying, well, actually, uh, I did this and I did this, and look, you know, I'm, I'm not coming back needing antibiotics every single round of chemo because my uh, blood counts go through the floor. Um, I've actually managed to keep them, uh, keep myself well by doing things. And so slowly, all of this stuff has been nibbling away at this rock-solid system that's, that's been in place. And the fourth force, you know, which is the one that we've been nurturing, if you like, by educating the public, by supporting them directly, has actually risen and risen and risen. Now we have a more interesting playing field, if you like, which has got to the point where enough people in oncology have realised, hey, wait a minute, there's something really interesting going on over there, in, you know, in uh, outside of conventional medicine, which is actually, why aren't we interested in that stuff? So, that's created the possibility that we have now for actually integrative medicine to start to become a reality. And I just wanted to add to that one other thing that's interesting is, of course, we now also have uh, the example of our fellows in places like the USA who are like 10 years ahead of us at least in this regard. And, uh, you know, they're using it over there, they're doing it, it works, you know, this is what it costs, this is how you do it, all the rest of it. Okay, they've got a different healthcare system, but in principle, they're showing how this stuff helps people. And again, all the science is pouring out of how it does help people. So there's less and less ground to stand on with the old sort of, we're doing it all, there's only, you know, only drugs and uh, radiation are the only things that are going to do any good. Uh, doesn't really hold water anymore. Do you see any, um, in sort of talking about things that are changing and that the US are 10 years ahead of us, do you see any change in the way oncologists are being trained at all? Is, is, any, of, is any of this complementary um, methods coming into the training? Do you get involved in that? Do you see that? I'm not involved in it, but I do hear about what's going on from time to time, and uh, I think the answer is no. Uh, but again, I think maybe that will change soon as well, because, I mean, the thing, the place where this type of change is happening the fastest is amongst GPs. GPs have become kind of pioneers in lifestyle medicine, I think, uh, and it's been fueled by, there's been a kind of parallel movement, if you like, government has kind of uh, adopted the idea of social prescribing 
as being a, a good idea because I've suddenly realised, oh, if once we get to the point where everybody in Britain's got chronic diseases, at least one, if not three or four, we are going to be bankrupt. You know, we better do something about uh, finding other ways of uh, getting people well and keeping them well. So social prescribing suddenly popped out the woodwork as an idea and it got adopted by the government and the GPs seem to have embraced it wholesale as well and uh, they I think are very excited at the prospect of being able to offer something different to people uh, which will make a more fundamental difference uh, not a sticking plaster job to try and uh, remove the worst of the symptoms for a while but to actually look at what's really wrong and to help people uh, with, with addressing that in whatever the way happens to be that works best for them. And uh, so, you know, the likes of Dr. Rong and Chatterjee getting on the TV yeah. and going into yeah. people's houses years ago, very yeah. inspiring, clearing out people's drug cupboard, chucking out the junk food out of yeah. the fridge, getting in some decent staff, getting them doing some things, getting outside. Uh, all the rest of it, and seeing the whole family get over a whole range of chronic diseases. I mean, that's fantastic stuff. Really inspiring for GPs, I think, to see, oh, bloody hell, that, that looks like what I want to do, make people well. That's what they want to do. And, uh, you know, it came out the woodwork a bit later on when he was uh, felt able to talk about it. And, of course, uh, Rong and Chatterjee had already done functional medicine training by that point. And so that's where he was coming from. He was coming from a well-grounded, well-rounded way of looking at promoting well-being and good health through lifestyle and, nu and nutrition. Yeah. And he had a nutritionist backing all of those um, programs. Right. That's helping him. So, uh, so yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think people like him now that are starting to do those things are fabulous because they are beginning to show people there's a different way. There's a different way to actually taking all those prescribed medications. And actually, yeah. it's very simple. It's it's simple lifestyle changes. You know, it, we're not talking about mm -hmm. anything complicated. So, I think actually looking into prevention yeah. is is absolutely essential. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what's needed. Prevention is uh, it's shocking that, you know, Cancer Research UK has just never spent any money on prevention. Mm. Uh, squillions spent on drug research and chemo, but nothing's been on, uh, on prevention. I think they're just beginning to look at it now, but it's like it, it's a total shocker, as if prevention wasn't the most important thing of all. It's obvious, isn't it? You know, stop people from getting these things in the first place. Yeah, and I think also, you know, and I remember when I was training, a lot of my colleagues were really, really interested in going into schools and trying to start people young in terms of lifestyle training. Um, because, you know, I remember being taught cooking, but it wasn't really cooking. And I remember not long ago, my niece was cooking at school, but it was about going to buy a box of pre-prepared stuff and take it in and cook it. And it's, that's, that's not teaching people. Yeah. I mean, no, I mean there's not. something wrong with Betty Crocker's brownies. I mean, really. Crocker's <laughs> <laughs> brownies. <laughs> That's indoctrinating children very young to prop yep. up corporations that make junk food. Mm. So, uh, yeah, terrible. But uh, going back to what you're saying about educational professionals, uh, the, again, in uh, inspirational area of that, I found is uh, young doctors who are arriving who are so disgusted they they got half a day out of their whole core you know several years of training was on nutrition 
they've actually, you know, campaigned to get proper nutritional training into their training. That's NutriTank, mm. uh, these uh, trainee doctors, and all hail to them. I mean, fantastic. Uh, it seems to have been a big success, uh, you know, the, because the world's ready for it at last, you know, and uh, they said the right thing at the right time. And uh, so, uh, you know, it's yet to infiltrate oncology much, but my hopes are up for very soon. Indeed. Um, can we talk about, it's not just about yes to life, because on the, I guess, the energy of that, you've gone on and you've written a book called The Cancer Revolution, which is fantastic, mm -hmm. and we'll provide a link to that so people can buy it if they want. And then you've got the British Society for Integrative Oncology, and then you've got an, an excellent directory on your website can we talk a little bit about the British Society for Integrative Oncology? Or is I think it'd be interesting to hear a little bit more about that and what's going well, on with that. Well, you know, I said we're a totally patient-facing organisation and we're always interested in helping the patients and everything. But you know, about a decade ago, it became very clear that we suffered in this country. The reason that uh, one of the things holding back change was the fact that uh, practitioners didn't communicate with each other at all. They could be literally, you know, 10 miles apart, but they didn't know what each other was doing. And there was no form of collective action. There was no form of uh, collective education and transmission of, of, you know, experience going on. Uh, you know, there just wasn't any umbrella under which people were meeting and collaborating. And it was a kind of hangover from years before when, you know, basically... Uh, the divide and rule thing uh, uh, was working very well. All the practitioners were kind of, you know, in their fortresses trying to withstand attack from every direction and help cancer patients. And uh, they actually used to attack each other at that time, which is what commonly happens when people are, you know, abused. They go around abusing each other as well. So it was very, it was a huge lack of cohesion, basically, within uh, complementary and alternative medicine for cancer. So uh, there wasn't anything like that at the BSIO there. So I had a chat with uh, our medical advisor, Damien Downey, and said, well, what do you think? Because he already ran a similar kind of uh, association, uh, but not to do with cancer. And he said, sounds like a good idea. So so off we went. And we, we put an event on to try and make this happen. And so, you know, a bit roundabout, of course, this, on the face of it, this is for the benefit of the practitioners, but that would actually be for the benefit of the patients that, that happened. So that's why I sort of decided, okay, we'll do this, even though it's not uh, quite in our normal remit. So it got started and it's had a checkered history for 10 years, I'll say, <laughs> in as much as it's only just hung on. It's done some quite good stuff from time to time, but it's been run by some incredibly de dedicated practitioners who wanted to keep it going, come what may, you know, but actually none of them had any spare bandwidth to do it, really. And it's never, it's lacked resource and it's lacked all the things it needed to flourish. Anyway, all that is changing very quickly right now. That's what I'm able to talk about it in a very upbeat way. Okay. Um, in that the BSIA is going to, you know, hit the, hit the, the, uh, the professionals in a big way this year um it's just got an entirely new infusion of the committee has made a uh, had a huge influx of fantastic people who have got some time and energy to put into it 
uh, is they've teamed up with the, the organization that helped Yesterlife to put on the amazing Your Life and Cancer event last year and we're doing it again this year. And they're putting on a, an event for professionals in June, which will be, I know, it'll be stunning. It'll be really good. It'll be what Britain's needed for a long time. And just as I'm saying that, you know, I think we're ready for change in this country, I think it's going to be enormously successful coming just at this point. So uh, I'm very excited about it. Um, I've personally, you know, been shepherding this thing along, keeping, you know, for 10 years, which is not my intention at all, because I'm not a professional, shouldn't really be anything to do with it at all. But I've had to be in order to sort of keep it, you know, still alive. And uh, I'm very happily handing the whole thing over now to real professionals who are absolutely fired up about making the BSIA what it should be. So, you know, from the point of view of practitioners, this is a fantastic thing. I hope any practitioners listening to this will be uh, champing at the bit to sign up. There's going to be all sorts of great, you know, benefits to being a member of the BSIO. And as I say, there will be this uh, great first event in June. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a turnaround story. And uh, I'm very pleased it didn't just die a death and it's actually going to do what it should do, which uh, is uh, very important. That's fantastic. It is interesting because you, any sort of organization, as you obviously know, with Yes to Life, it kind of, it has its own ebb and flow in its life. And obviously your determination to make sure that practitioners want to, or oncologists want to learn more about this. And I that says a lot about you. And it's great that you've got the people you do on board to give it that growth and new energy so you can focus mm-hmm. on yes to life which seems to be so near and dear to to your heart which is terrific yeah i've got quite enough on my plate without the bsia <laughs> i can assure you so <laughs> i don't really need that and i you know that's why i've wanted the professionals to get on with it for themselves but anyway the new committee has an oncologist on it it has some super uh, skilled senior people uh, from a whole range of different disciplines, really experienced people. So I, I know it's going to be successful. It can't fail at this point. It's got set to go. The website's just being rebuilt. The whole membership scheme is just being reformatted. Uh, you know, it's, it's just about to get off the stocks. So That's exciting. Yeah. That's really exciting. Um, can, can we talk about the upcoming event? We'd like to Indeed. give a bit of a push. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, well, so we, we have uh, Congress, as we call it, coming up uh, for this spring. Uh, it's at the end of March, so it's only about a month away, 27th, 28th March. And um, this is an event, actually, we, we planned this one for a year ago, would you believe? And we got, canceled, uh, we got locked down two days before it was supposed to happen. And uh we were actually quite. Yeah, Andrew and I had had a hotel booked. You know, we were we were ready. To come. <laughs> That's so cruel, well, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But I'll tell you, we were actually relieved because until we were locked down, we were going to be liable for all the costs of that event. You know, the venue and all the rest of it, and um, uh, nobody would have turned up probably. So you know, it was. Uh, actually very lucky that it got locked down given the conditions uh, because it meant that we we got our money back and all that kind of thing so um anyway we we postponed it and we postponed it in the end we've decided okay we're not going to do that event in the real so to speak it's going to be a virtual event and we've already uh 
proved that a, a virtual event can be enormously successful. It's got strengths in many ways that, that a real event doesn't have. I mean, we love real events and we're always going to want to do them, but there's no way we're going to go back from doing virtual events now that we've tasted what you can do with those. So we're doing the same event. The speaker lineups change a little bit over the year, inevitably, but uh, certainly not to its detriment. We've got incredible people um, who are going to be speaking. And, um, yeah, the um, subject hasn't changed at all. Uh, it's nutritional science and cancer, and uh, that's still the same. And uh, what we're doing is we're going into nutrition in depth, which is something we've never done before. Funnily enough, all these years we've had small events about nutrition, for sure, plenty of them, but we've never devoted our whole conference size event just to nutrition. So I'm actually really excited about it. And uh, in terms of people we've got speaking, uh, we've got an incredible lineup, I've got to say. Uh, super pleased to have. Uh, we have Sheila Dillon, the BBC Sheila Dillon, who is a pioneer from the BBC Food Programme. She is the first person to get nutrition and cancer talked about on the BBC, really. Uh, and she single-handedly has pushed the agenda forward for, um, you know, the, the, this even being something you can talk about. So um, she is going to introduce the whole event. And then we got, like, you know, mega stars like Dr. Nasha Winters and Dr. Catherine Zolman and uh, Dr. Peri Kekayoglu is um, uh, the oncologist who is now a key supporter of Yes to Life, I'm glad to say, super interested in lifestyle medicine. She She's an oncologist within the NHS. Uh, we've got Dr. Rob Verkirk. We've got Dr. David Unwin. We never had him speak for us before, but he's a very uh, respected pioneer of uh, you know investigating the uh, the whole area of diabetes and and wider um we've got functional medicine practitioners like uh, mark bennett and uh, victoria fenton um dawn waldron nutritionist and then we have uh, it's a two-day event uh, the first day is going to be a mixture of talks and discussions um, so it's a you know a nice mixed day. The, the second day is kind of workshop focused, and uh, we've got two workshops running and talks happening sort of in parallel. Uh, one of them is going to be uh, Dr. Britt Cordy is going to be doing one, um, which is going to be about uh, you know right on about healthy diet, and uh, Dr. Saskia Kloppenberg, who's going to be talking about. Uh, medicinal mushrooms, which is a very particular uh, branch of nutrition, which I, I don't need to crack it up for your benefit. You all know what uh, what uh, mushrooms can do for people. What an amazing resource they are for human beings, particularly when they got cancer. So um, something worth focusing on. So uh, it's a brilliant weekend. I think it's going to be. I'm glad to say that. You know, we've carried forward all the people from a year ago. They're still all coming along. Uh, they've got their places reserved still. Um, and we're obviously attracting a lot more at this point to come and join them. So very excited about it. So if people want to book? They can either go to the Yes to Life website at yestolife.org.uk and right at the top on the homepage there's a big banner comes across which advertises the event with a uh, more details button on it. Um, that will take them to the event website. The event's got its own website. It's called yes to life conference .org .uk, 
and uh, on there they can see the whole program all the speakers and they can book so yeah go and have a look we'll have links for that on the show notes as well so people can find it and we'll be happy to promote it as well on our instagram page just to to help you out as much as we can because uh, we'd be thank delighted to you. do that so robin so, uh, I've, I've got a question if, yeah. if somebody finds out they've been diagnosed with cancer what would be your sort of top tips what what to do next what should they do next what to do next okay so look if they're if they're uh, somebody who is their first diagnosis and they, this is they, they're interested in the concept of lifestyle medicine but they don't know much about it and uh, they they want to know what first steps to make of course i think it's a good move that they call up our helpline all the people on our helpline have got experience of cancer in some way Many of them have had cancer or they haven't. They've had a close relative or, uh, who's had cancer. They sort of know the score. They know where people are at. The people who are talking to them, they know what their state is likely to be, what they, their concerns are, what, uh, you know. So they're very supportive in that way. And they're, they're, whole, they're, they're trained to help signpost people to some good places to start off. So that's, that's really what they're about. So that's a great introduction. Um, if people prefer to watch something, I would say you you couldn't do better really in many ways than to get to the series of videos from the first of our two weekends that we had last autumn of Your Life and Cancer. So this was a, a two-weekend event, and the first weekend was particularly for those who are new to integrative medicine. That's what it's for, and it and we focused on that regardless of what where you know we we weren't prepared to answer questions that people wanted to ask clever stuff we really kept it to that and so on that there is a huge range of fantastic experts and they really there's far too much information in there for one person to take in at one go when they're just starting on their journey. And we're at pains to tell people all the way through the event, look, don't worry, you're not going to remember all this stuff. Don't go trying to remember it all. It's really that event is to show people how important lifestyle is to people with cancer, show them the ways in which it's important, the places they should look and will probably trigger for them uh, the things that they need to look at right now. There's always a priority for any individual as to what they need to do first. Um, you know, see, you can stand outside and you can broadly say what the most important things are. And, you know, if, if somebody asks me what are the most important things, I'd say, well, your mindset is the most important thing because if your mindset's crap, You'll never make a good decision that's going to help you to get well if you're in a place of feeling hopeless, for example. So mindset is number one. Probably nutrition is number two and exercise right up there with it as well. And on you go. But nonetheless, for an individual, there's probably something in particular that will leap out of them and they'll think, oh, my God, yes, I've, you know, I've been stressed for the last five years doing in the way I've been living. I've been stressed at home and I go to work and I'm stressed there. And, you know, they know they've got to do something about that. So, you know, it, it is an individual thing. That's, that's the whole thing about patient-centered care. It's not the same for any two people. So um, that weekend, you can get the videos for the whole weekend very cheaply. And uh, you, can, you can 
mix and match, dabble in, watch whatever you want to, or just go through the whole weekend. But by the time you've done all those, you'll have a very good idea of the potential of integrative medicine to help you. And you've probably got some ideas of where to start as well. So that's, that's a great option. The third option I put out there is for people who like to read would be our book, which it's, it's five years old now, so there's definitely things we would uh, like to add to it that are not in there. But nonetheless, as I sort of pr- start you off primer, it's still, I think, very good. And uh, it aims to do the same thing in as much as it doesn't go into depth in any of the things it couldn't do because any subject can easily be a book on its own. But it does introduce... The, the, the breadth, if you like, of integrative medicine. And uh, it gives you lots of pointers where to look for the things that you find are interesting and important to you. Um, you know, very big resources section in the back. And so, you know, the, for the person who likes to sit at home and, and read about this stuff, I, you know, I'd recommend that. But just a, one more thing to add, though, that those are all kind of uh, yes to life resources. We're not the only thing, of course. There's fantastic <laughs> other resources out there. And um, I think there are very specific ones, which uh, I think, you know, it's sort of hopelessness is something that faces a lot of people. They've just been diagnosed. They've been given a very bad diagnosis. And everybody around them is already getting ready for them to die, mm-hmm. you know. They've all bought into the the prognosis they've been given. The, all the medical staff are like sympathetic, da da da, you know. But they are on their own. The person who's been told they're going to die, and uh, they they might be feeling one of two things. They might be feeling, hey, wait a minute, I'm not ready to die. That's one possibility, you know. And that's a very difficult situation when everybody else is ready for you to die or getting ready. The other one is they might be buying into it as well and they might be saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to die. So those situations are very difficult to face indeed and there are particular resources that are very helpful then, I think. And uh, the one the sort of out front and centre I would put there would be uh, Kelly Turner's organisation with Radical Remission and uh, just showing what's possible or what actually does happen when people actually decide well maybe i'm not going to die yet uh, and they really go for it basically and the most extraordinary things happen so you know that's a kind of resource a particular resource i'd put somebody's way if they were feeling up against it or rather hopeless that's my prescription to all of my clients radical remission by kelly turner yeah absolutely yeah. i always say this stay away from google but read read radical remission mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. That's such an amazing and uplifting book. It is. It is. I mean, there's an amazing and uplifting docu-series that uh, was made from that, which I understand it's not actually available at the moment. I watched it when it came out and thought it was brilliant. It was so powerful. Uh, One episode for every single uh, thing that uh, she actually uh, writes about in her book. Um, But, uh, yeah, it's not available at the moment for whatever reasons, and I hope it comes back very soon. But, but, yeah, nonetheless, the book is brilliant. That's great. I was going to ask Robin about the radio program that he's on with the UK Health, and then I think you've got a podcast as well that you're starting. Is that right? Or have I just, have I heard, I may have heard the wrong thing, but. I have a radio show. I've had a radio show for more than five years, incredibly. And uh, 
Yeah, it happened quite by chance. Um, I was uh, I I got interviewed by somebody who was doing you know internet radio, uh, a bit like I'm being interviewed today. Yeah. And I got to the other end of that, and I thought, hmm, I could do that. <laughs> and, uh, uh, so. Um, I put together a little proposal and sent it off to the radio station that I was being interviewed for. Uh, absolutely zero response, so even sending it a couple of times. So I forgot about that for a bit. And then a bit later on, we were putting on an event which uh, a radio station, UK Health Radio, was there broadcasting it live. And... Uh, I thought, oh, the the chap who ran the thing, who'd set it up, was there. I thought, oh, I'll go and ask him. And so I just said, well, you know, what about the idea of a, a radio show that does this and does this and does this? He said, yep, sounds great. So uh, he gave me a completely free hand. You know, there was no requirements other than it fitted into a time period. Um, otherwise, what I did was entirely my own business. So uh, yeah. I... Rather like that, and uh, so I just got out doing it, and uh, I've been doing it ever since. Um, it's got uh, you know, it's taken me to all sorts of extraordinary places, meeting people, doing things which uh, you know, I'm I'm surprised how often I get a yes from places which is a complete wild stab. You know, I, some I read something where some research has done a, a bit of uh, you know, research is really interesting about some nutrient somewhere and its effect with cancer treatment, and I just think, well, there's an email address there, I'll try it. <laughs> And I find myself interviewing this person, you know, in Denmark, you know, or whatever it is. Very interesting, really. And uh, so, you know, we've got a backlog now. All these radio programs, they, they all still exist. They're all still listenable to. So I'm glad to say that in the last year, we finally got a kind of proper searchable page on our website, which allows you to go in there, find people you know guests or find subject or search by keyword you know so you can actually find relevant stuff and you know the five-year-old programs are just as interesting as the ones i have now because they're always such interesting people with such uh, extraordinary experience and skills so um there's some great information there and i love doing it it's, it's an immense amount of work it's like a sort of treadmill where you have shows every week you've got to have them ready you know mm. um but nonetheless I, it's a very special thing to do and i think it's been uh very good for the charity in terms of just you know being out there uh, in a very regular fashion you know it's a bit like advertising where you advertise every week eventually somebody thinks oh where were those people and they go back and look and there they are so you know it's had that effect i think after all this time so yeah still doing it no no uh plans to do otherwise um in terms of yes yeah well in terms of podcasts um this is actually part of the revolution i was describing earlier of uh, things really changing um i'm delighted to say dr penny kekoyoglu is uh, joining me on each podcast uh, we're going to kind of co-host it now she's a senior oncologist as i said within the nhs and uh, we're going to talk to people from a whole range of different disciplines who have something to offer to people with cancer so she is a fantastic advocate for uh, lifestyle medicine, uh, for complementary therapies. She thinks it's 
uh, you know, terrible that it's not offered to people with cancer. And, you know, I literally just feel on the same page as her, which for me is a slightly sort of out-of-body experience after all these years of, you know, being a, a total outsider. I suddenly feel, uh, you know, that, that actually I have somebody who actually understands what I've been trying to do all these years and uh, wants to help. And uh, she's, uh, she herself, I would say, was a revolutionary. Uh, she seems quite determined to change the NHS from the inside, which is quite different to what I've been doing, giving away, you know, eating away at the system from the outside by educating the public. So, uh, you know, I feel we've got, we now we've got a pincer action here from the inside and the outside. And uh, that together, a lot, we can do a lot, I think. So this podcast, I'm hoping, is going to be something that will be listened to by people outside and inside the NHS and will inspire people to uh, push forward the agenda for integrative medicine. That's great. Mm. Uh, well, or I'm going they? to say very, very shortly is my answer. We're still... Uh, getting the bits and pieces together uh, it's a kind of watch this space we will announce it of course uh, with a fanfare when it happens and uh, yeah but I'm hoping that, you know I've got a lot of uh, great people lined up for this year to have as guests and I can't wait to be part of the dialogues that are going to happen between them uh, who are all people I know and respect and work with for years with an oncologist you know it's just like yes you know about time Brilliant. Thank you to listen. Yeah. Well, I think I've asked all my questions there. Thank you. Okay. Linda, if you can't. Yeah, that was brilliant. Yeah. Okay. Well, Robin, thank you so much for joining us. It is such an honor to have you on here with us and great to at least get an idea of your reason, your desire, and your mission to really get the message out there to the members of the public and how you have slowly, just from banging and beating a drum, you are getting the oncologists to come on board. And it sounds like they're getting more and more interested. So thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I always love banging on about this stuff. You know, that's what I do. And uh, it's a lovely opportunity to do it. And it's also rather nice to be uh, in the the other way around, if you like. It's usually me doing the interviewing. So uh, it's quite fun. The, the other way around, I don't do any preparation, don't think about it at all. I just turn up and blather on. And it's really very nice to be able to chat to you all. No, it was fabulous. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, folks, that's all for today. We hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation with Robin. He has such determination, and it really is exciting to know that there is someone like him out there who is helping so many people who have cancer. Be sure and check out the event online on the 27th and 28th of March. He has a fantastic group of people speaking and lots of information to share. So we will be sure and provide a link so you can register for this wonderful event as well. If you have any questions, for us, please send us an email. And if you or anyone you know has recently been diagnosed with cancer or is going through cancer treatment, please do get in touch with us. We'd be delighted to have a conversation with you to see if we can 
point you in the right direction for support or if there is something that we can do to help you ourselves. I'd also like to ask you to do a couple of things. One of them is to subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and please share it with others that you feel might find them of benefit. On behalf of Andrea Burton and Linda Sims, we'd like to thank you again for joining us on our podcast. And until next time, here's wishing you all the very best of health. Bye for now. Bye.